people who are out there in the world are the ones getting the most exposure. And that's starting to emerge to show a pretty strong racial and class component. Welcome to Brainstorm, a podcast exploring all things science, health, and tech related. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Jacob Fulton. And I'm Nathanie Kachalam. And today, we're going to break down the social and historical context surrounding COVID-19. This is the first episode in a series on COVID-19, so keep an eye out for more episodes in the coming weeks. COVID-19 is not the first pandemic of the last century, or even of the last 40 years. But at a time when we're more connected than ever, it's easier to see how our governments are responding to everything that's going on. Before we can really understand these times that are unprecedented, strange, or any other buzzword you have read in your listserv emails, it's important to take a look at what came before. And Sarah Rodriguez, a senior lecturer in the Global Health Program in Weinberg, is going to help us do that. A lot of people have made comparisons to the 1918 pandemic because, one, it was a global pandemic. Many, many people were impacted, if not directly by being sick, by having a family member be sick. Businesses were closed. Sporting events were canceled. Churches were asked not to meet. Bars were closed, etc. Those measures might sound familiar. Over the past few weeks, we've been introduced to social distancing and self-isolation. People are staying inside for weeks or months on end, only leaving their house for essential reasons. Families are canceling vacations, rescheduling weddings, and missing funerals, all in the name of safety. Even in their own neighborhoods, people are staying six feet apart from anyone they pass to reduce the spread of the virus. But that is not necessarily the new normal for everybody. Because there is no national standard, states are following a case-by-case basis for shutting down non-essential businesses and administering shelter-in-place orders. Most states, but not all, are following that protocol. Just listen to recent press conferences from Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who put his entire state under a stay-at-home order, and Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, who said he doesn't plan to enforce similar restrictions anytime soon. If there are actions that I can take that will save lives in the midst of this pandemic, no matter how difficult, then I have an obligation to take these actions. But as we look at, and we'll continue to reevaluate the data, but as we look at the data, we are seeing that we are different from other states. Even in states with restrictions, not everyone is following the rules. Some people believe the orders are too strict and will do more harm than good. That was a group of protesters from outside the Ohio State House this past Tuesday. They were protesting the state shutdown, calling on the governor to open up businesses again. So... The response hasn't been the same in all locations. And when we look back to 1918, the reaction times among different cities made a big difference. That's according to the executive director of Northwestern's Institute for Global Health, Robert Murphy. Philadelphia and St. Louis took two different approaches to the flu epidemic back then. Philadelphia basically did nothing until it was too late. St. Louis closed bars and banned gathering early on in the epidemic there. Quite clear the people in St. Louis did much better than the people in Philadelphia. By the time the Philadelphia people got on, they had already had quite a few deaths. According to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, St. Louis had less than half the flu-related deaths per capita than Philadelphia, all because of social distancing measures. However, the 1918 influenza outbreak is often forgotten in the scope of global history. This is at least partially because it took place at the same time as World War I, so people were distracted, to say the least. In more recent memory, another virus drawing comparisons is HIV, 
or the human immunodeficiency virus. That virus is spread through contact with bodily fluids, but COVID-19 is a respiratory virus, which means it spreads through the air. Medill professor Stephen Thrasher is a faculty member in the Institute of Sexual and Gender Minority Health and Wellbeing and has spent years researching and reporting on HIV. HIV is a relatively weak and inefficient virus. It has been floating around the universe for who knows how long. It maybe entered mammals 100 years ago. It took many decades to move into humans. Even though we think of it, we started seeing it in 1981, HIV was probably circulating on the North American continent for at least three decades before we first saw it. So it's very, very slow moving. Thrasher also said HIV is slow acting and relatively hard to catch. Most people affected by the virus only start showing symptoms 7 to 15 years after transmission. But we know that's not true for COVID-19. Everything about coronavirus is fast. It's lightning quick from the time it moved from mammals to humans and then from the first humans to potentially infecting all humans is just weeks or months. And what what happens in the body is also very quick. People are exposed and it it seems to cycle through them. Or if they get worse, and unfortunately if they die, it can also happen within weeks. Though the viruses may be different, they share an important similarity. Both were prominent in marginalized communities, which created a sense of stigma around those groups. HIV disproportionately affected the LGBT community, particularly Black men who had sex with other men. Often, people associate viruses with the communities they are prevalent in, creating harmful stereotypes. For example... AIDS was initially named GRID, which stands for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency, explicitly connecting the LGBT community to the disease. There has been a historical tendency to blame and lay blame and or stigmatize groups that are seen as, quote-unquote, being more susceptible or perhaps the ones, quote-unquote, like spreading the disease. We can think of when polio first became more epidemic form in the late 19th, early 20th century, On the east coast of this country, immigrants from eastern and southern Europe were often blamed as being the ones who were most susceptible and most likely to be spreading the disease to sort of native white-born population on the east coast. In the case of COVID-19, the virus's origins in China have created a strong cultural association between the pandemic and Asian communities worldwide. Here in Evanston, there have been multiple instances of anti-Asian American vandalism, and that's a pattern that has emerged across the nation. With President Trump referring to the virus as the Chinese virus, this association has wide-reaching implications. It's very much being imagined as Asian and Asian American, and there's a lot of nationalism around how it is conceived. The United States, I think, didn't take it as seriously because it was something that was imagined as happening somewhere else. And there are all kinds of racial and class dimensions to how this virus is playing out. Thrasher said that people of color are more likely to be affected by COVID-19 as they make up a significant portion of the essential worker population and are less likely to have equal access to health care. As The Daily reported earlier this week, Evanston is seeing that disparity play out locally. Preliminary numbers show that Black residents are more likely to contract COVID-19. Many experts are saying that COVID-19 is exposing flaws in different countries' infrastructures, from health to economic policy. Historians have often talked about how a pandemic actually incites change. We saw that with cholera in the 19th century. The global spread of cholera in the 19th century kind of prompted health leaders and political leaders to actually do things about getting clean water to people. 
that pandemic actually moved people toward the importance of clean water supplies and sanitation and sewage disposal, et cetera. We could think broadly about the COVID-19 pandemic and think it is, it is also sort of brought to the surface, if you will, some of the limits or stresses on our system. Maybe this is what brings universal health coverage to the United States because it's showing that, obviously we knew this before the pandemic, but not everyone has health coverage in this country. So perhaps this will be sort of an impetus for that kind of change. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Brainstorm, where we break down the science behind COVID-19 and explain its spread. This episode was reported and produced by myself, Jacob Fulton, and Nea Fanikachala. The audio editor of The Daily Northwestern is Molly Lubers. The digital managing editors are Callum Luciano and Hina Srivastava. And the editor-in-chief is Marissa Martinez.